have been in. We took a brief break from uh, for our missions focus. Uh, but it's a series called Conversations with Jesus where we're uh, looking at significant conversations Jesus had with men and women through the Gospel of John. And uh, this morning's conversation is found in a story that might be one of the more familiar stories uh, to people. It's a conversation Jesus had with two sisters of a dead man named Lazarus. A lot of us have, have heard this story. Um, uh, as we go through this story, I'm going to have the verses up on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along in a paper Bible and you don't have one with you this morning, our ushers are coming down the aisle just now, and if you'll just signal them somehow, it doesn't have to be, I mean, it can, it can be really, you know, whatever, just let them know you'd like one and they'll put one in your hand, and if you don't have a Bible at home, they'd be happy, or you can uh, please feel free to take this one uh, with you. Um, before we open our Bibles and, and look at this story, uh, let's pray together. God, as we've been looking at these various conversations um, so many times, we sense that you're speaking to us, uh, not just to these people that lived a long time ago. And I pray that that would be true today as well, uh, that as we hear Jesus interact with these people, that we would hear Jesus speaking into our lives, with the situations that we're going through, and that it would make a difference, uh, that, that you would uh, strengthen us, encourage us uh, this morning, maybe even convict us of some areas that need to change in our lives. And uh, we welcome that this morning uh, because we know that you love us and you only want what is good for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, that's on page 863 of the Bibles the ushers just handed out. Chapter 11 opens uh, by telling us that there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. Uh, we learn that he and his two sisters lived in a little town called Bethany, about two miles from Jerusalem. We know that these three uh, were close friends of Jesus, and it appears that Jesus regularly stayed in their home whenever he was doing ministry in Jerusalem. But right now, Jesus is a day's journey away from their home. Chapter 10 tells us that he had left Jerusalem to go out to an area on the other side of the Jordan River because the religious leaders in Jerusalem were trying to kill him. And so when Lazarus got really sick, his sisters sent a message to Jesus to let him know about it. Now, this wasn't a message like we often uh, send uh, today. I, I sent a message, a text message this morning to someone who's in the hospital. Give me an update. How are things going? This was an actual messenger. This wasn't Facebook messenger. It wasn't some kind of an electronic messenger. It was a real person who traveled a day to get to Jesus. 
And verse 3 gives us a window into the relationship that Mary and Martha and Lazarus had with Jesus because in their message to Jesus, they say, the one you love is sick. Jesus is one of Lazarus's closest friends and his sisters think that Jesus will want to know about this because close friends want to know when one of their friends is sick. And usually a close friend wants to be there to do whatever they can do to help, right? I mean, it's just, it's what we do. But Jesus seems to know something about the outcome of this sickness and, and seems to say, don't worry, he's not that sick, which seems a little callous. He's not going to die. And then he adds that somehow God is going to be glorified in this sickness. And so he sends that message back to Martha and Mary via the same messenger. Now, for us who are familiar with the story, this is the first sort of puzzling thing that, that pops up in this story. Uh, Jesus says the, the sickness won't end in death. And that's puzzling to us. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, you'll, you'll see why shortly. Uh, but the story goes from sort of puzzling, why would he say that, to like really bothersome, at least, at least to me. Uh, look, at, look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And when he heard that he was sick, Jesus stayed two more days in the place where he was. The, the first word in verse 6 is a Greek word, un. Uh, it means therefore. It, it means because of this thing, that thing. Okay? Uh, so when we read verses 5 and 6 together, uh, we, we should read it like this. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Therefore, when he heard that he was sick, Jesus stayed two more days in the place where he was. In other words, because Jesus loved these three, he stayed where he was two more days. I don't know about you, this isn't what I expect from Jesus, right? I want him to go straight away and, and heal this, this friend that he loves so much. Staying two more days isn't the way you show someone that you care. That's just not how you do it. And in those two days that Jesus has delayed, the situation goes from bad to worse. And the story gets even more confusing. In verses 11 through 14, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And I think, rather comically, the disciples say that, well, if he's just asleep, he'll wake up on his own. What's the big deal? And the underlying story is they really don't want Jesus to go back to Jerusalem because they know he's, he's on a wanted list. They know that the religious leaders are going to try to kill him, right? So if he's just asleep, well, let's just stay where we are, right? And then Jesus puts it, plainly to them. Lazarus is dead. Which may have been confusing because I think they were pretty sure just two days earlier they had heard Jesus say Lazarus wouldn't die. And now he's dead. And in verse 15, Jesus says he, 
He's glad he wasn't there so that they, the disciples, might believe. This has got to be another layer of, of confusing to the disciples. There's actually a lot of confusion in this story, right? If Jesus loved Lazarus so much, he should have gone immediately and healed him. If Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die, why did he say that the sickness wouldn't end in death? And why would Jesus say he's glad he wasn't there to heal Lazarus? That maybe it would help the disciples to believe. It doesn't fit our expectations of Jesus, you see? It's not what we want Jesus to do. And we're not much different than Martha and Mary because it's not what they want him to do either. Let's move forward in the story to verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so many of the Jewish people of the region had come to Martha and Mary to console them over the loss of their brother. Just a, just a brief pause here. Um, look at the timeline. When Mary and Martha sent the message to Jesus, Lazarus was still alive. It took the messenger a full day to get to Jesus, and then another full day to get back. And if, if we do the math here, Lazarus was already in the grave when the messenger arrived with the news that the sickness wouldn't end in death. Ouch. That's not a piece of mail you'd want to open, right? You feel the disappointment in this story? Well, when Martha hears that Jesus is on the outskirts of town, she, she runs out to meet him. And, and she blurts out, it's a, it's a beautiful statement because it's so honest, she blurts out her honest, unchecked thoughts that have been brewing over the past few days. And one of the things this, this tells me is that it's okay to be honest with God. Uh, I have a friend who, who says, that's okay, God can handle that. Okay, so, ooh, you can't talk to God that way. God can handle that, okay? She's honest. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's respectful, but her expectations are clear. Lord, if only. And I wonder if we're honest this morning, if we can hear our own complaints against God in her voice. If, if only you would let me get that job. If only you had saved my marriage. If only they had caught the cancer earlier. Or if only you had healed them from the cancer when they caught it. If only, if only, if only. And I imagine what makes this especially hard for Martha is that she's seen Jesus do miracles before, amazing miracles. She and her sister and Lazarus have, have, have seen Jesus healing complete strangers. Why, why here? Why not now for one of his closest friends? 
Would it have been too hard to come right away? And then Martha continues, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died yet. Even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Is she holding out hope? Or is she just being religiously polite? I don't know. Maybe both. But Jesus answers Martha with something that uh, she hears anyway as a, as a theological statement. He tells her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. On one hand, Martha is affirming the, the orthodox view of the day that, that most Jewish people held, uh, that at the end of time there would be this bodily resurrection of all people. Uh, those who love God would be resurrected to eternal life with them, and those who don't love God would be resurrected to eternal judgment, what we often refer to as hell. This was not a new concept for Martha. But Martha, I think, maybe hears Jesus' words like so many words we often hear when a Christian loved one dies. They're in a better place. They're not in pain anymore. We'll see them again one day. And all of these things are true. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. They're true. The problem is we're still left in our grieving. And it's hard. But Martha isn't understanding what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus wants her to see something more immediate than this future hope. He doesn't negate that future hope, but there's something in the immediate that he wants her to understand. Something more than just going to heaven when you die. See, I think Martha's expectations are, are too small. So Jesus has to call her back to the reality standing in front of her. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. My daughter-in-law, Amber, um, sometimes has to say in a, in a stern voice to my granddaughters, Eyeballs! <laughs> it started out, I think, by look me in the eyes, and then it just, you know, in those intense moments, just got reduced to eyeballs. And when the girls hear that, they know that they're supposed to stop whatever they're doing, look mom in the face, and listen very, very carefully. This is important, right? And I think Jesus here is saying, Martha, eyeballs! I'm not talking about end times theology or doctrine here. I'm talking about something you need to know today. Jesus is telling her that the very source of life is standing right there in front of her. This is the fourth I am statement that we've heard Jesus make in the Gospel of John. Once again, he's taking on himself the very name of God, Yahweh. 
Jesus is saying to Martha that, that the God that she has heard about all her life is standing before her in one of her darkest hours and that he plans to do something more spectacular than she even has the capacity to understand or imagine. And then he says, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha's been following Jesus around for some time, but something new happens here because for the first time she articulates her belief in who Jesus is. He is that long-awaited Messiah, the incarnate flesh Son of God who has come into the world to save the world. And with that, with that declaration of faith, Martha runs to get her sister, Mary. When Mary comes to see Jesus, uh, who is still on the outskirts of town, she falls at his feet weeping. And she says the exact same words that her sister said. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if only. Here we go again, right? The exact same words. But while Mary's words are are exactly the same as Martha's words, Jesus' response is not the same. When Jesus saw her crying, verse 33, and the Jews who had come crying with her, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And then that famous verse, just because of its brevity, Jesus wept. When Martha said, Lord, if you had only been here, Jesus responded with this truth statement about who he is. And when Mary says the same thing, Jesus responds by showing her how he is and how he is is human. Verse 33, we read that Jesus was angry in his spirit. Uh, the translation I'm using here uh, is one of the strongest of the, of the major Bible translations out there in its, in its wording. Most of them say things like, he was deeply troubled, or he was moved in his spirit. Those are bad translations uh, of, a, of a Greek word, uh, Embrimaumai. Embrimaumai. Tim Keller and D.A. Carson are, are just two of many Bible scholars who say that it is lexically irresponsible to translate that as deeply troubled or deeply moved. The word means to bellow with anger. Bellow with anger. was Jesus so angry about? There's some debate, but I I think in in one word we could say sin. Maybe not how you're thinking of it, though, this morning. God hates sin, but not because he's some cosmic killjoy who just wants to make rules and wreck all the fun that people want to have, right? God hates sin because it destroys the people that he loves so much, people who have been made in his image. And death is the ultimate outcome 
of that sin. Because you see, before sin entered the world, there was no death. But, but from the day our first parents chose to go against God's design, sin has been killing people. And I think that's what Jesus was so angry about. That's what he bellowed in rage against. Well, just like today, people have different responses to Jesus when they learn who he really is. Verse 36, some of the people who had come to mourn said, look how much he loved him. But some of them said, this is the man who caused the blind man to see. Couldn't he have done something to keep Lazarus from dying? Just, just like today, some of those gathered to mourn the loss of their friend, Lazarus, saw how much Jesus loved him. Maybe they saw that his anger was motivated by love for humanity. They saw him grieving over the fact that this is not the way things are supposed to be. It's not. And just like today, others watched and blamed him for Lazarus' death. People get angry with God for the bad things that happen rather than seeing that the focus of their anger is in the wrong place. Jesus shows us here it's totally appropriate to be angry with sin and the death that ensues because of it. But don't get mad at God for it. We need to get to the end of the story. Um, verse 38 tells us that Jesus is still deeply angry, probably still weeping as he approaches the tomb. The tomb is, is much like Jesus' own tomb would be just a matter of days later. It's a cave with a stone uh, rolled across the, the entrance. In verse 39, Jesus tells the people to remove the stone. I love this verse. You know, Martha is the, the epitome of propriety, isn't she? Uh, earlier, she has given this theologically correct answer to Jesus' statement about resurrection. Uh, in Luke's gospel, we see her as the, the penultimate hostess, right? Wanting to make sure everything is just perfect for her guests. Here, I can see her sort of whispering to Jesus. Um, Lord... He's been in there four days. And I can kind of imagine Jesus looking at her like, yeah, so? And so maybe, I don't know, I'm imagining this, maybe she goes one step further and sort of pinches her nose, right? Well, you know, it might smell. I especially love the old King James by this time he stinketh. <laughs> I don't know, that captures something about Martha for me. Her properness, right? Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? Martha, were you not listening? I told you that if you believe, you'd see something amazing, something that would blow your mind. 
Verse 41 and 42 tells us they rolled the stone away. And then Jesus prayed. It's interesting what he prayed. He prayed a prayer of thanksgiving to God for hearing his prayer. He doesn't pray asking God to raise Lazarus here. He's already done that, probably in those two days that he lingered. Here, he already knows that God has answered his prayer. He's praying out loud in the presence of all these mourners who were, who were gathered. And he says why he's praying this, so that they will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he wants them to understand what Martha had come to understand in verse 27. And then comes that powerful command to the man in the tomb, verse 43. After he prayed, he shouted in a loud voice. I won't do it as loud as I think he probably did. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. I don't think this is a stretch. I imagine a long pause here. People sort of gawking at this mummy that has just walked out of this tomb. Maybe a mix of of terror and joy, disbelief. Renewed faith. It's a long pause that Jesus eventually has to interrupt and say, well, unwrap him. Let him go. Which I think is an interesting detail in this story. Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. But he asked the people to participate in freeing him from his grave clothes. Jesus raised him from the dead, but he asks the community of believers to to help cut away the remnants of death that still bound him. I gotta wonder, is there something there for us as a community of faith? Um, I'll, I'll let you ponder that on your own. By now, in our series, uh, we shouldn't be too surprised that there were two responses uh, to this amazing miracle, two very different responses. Uh, We've seen this before in John's gospel. We see it again here in verse 45. Then many of the people who had come with Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and reported to them what Jesus had done. You know what he did? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He shouldn't have done that, huh? I'm sorry, I'm being silly, but it's ridiculous. Shame on him for raising people from the dead. No one's ever done that before. He must be a bad guy. Verse 53 tells us what the Pharisees did with that information. From that day forward, John tells us they planned together to kill him. Uh, We'll read in in chapter 12 that not only Jesus was on their hit list, so was Lazarus. And in one of these two responses, we understand what Jesus was talking about back in verse 4 when he said that this sickness would not end in death, but in God's glory and in Jesus receiving glory. 
We understand in one of these responses what Jesus was talking about in verse 15 when he said, and I'm glad I wasn't there for your sakes so that you might believe. It's interesting, Jesus had disciples that didn't believe yet. Maybe we understand what he meant in verse 40 when he said to Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, the, the, the glory of God and people glorifying Jesus as the Messiah was why Jesus stayed two more days on the other side of the Jordan before going to see his friends in Bethany. So as I, as I wrap this up, I want us to think this morning about what this story has for us 2,000 years later. Um, I've said this every week. It's important to understand we're not just listening in on somebody else's conversation. We're trying to hear what is Jesus saying to us, right? And I wonder this morning if, if you can find yourself somewhere in this story. Maybe you're struggling this morning because God is delaying. Anyone else frustrated when God delays? I'm the only one, I guess. You, you, you've sent him a message that someone or something in your life is really sick, really close to death but he hasn't come yet. And when you read in verses 5 and 6, now Jesus loved the people in this story. If you, if you put your name in there, your own name. And so he waited two more days, two more years, two more decades. I don't know how long, but it's too long, isn't it? Or maybe uh, this morning you find yourself in that place where all of the right answers aren't working anymore for you. Uh, the, the right answers don't seem to address the situation you're currently struggling through. And you find yourself saying, if only, if only. The on if, but the if only doesn't seem to ever happen. And so maybe you're like some of the disciples who followed Jesus, but didn't really believe in him. Or you might be here this morning and you have lost all hope of Jesus doing anything. You're here this morning because someone else expects you to. Um, but you've given up. It, it's too late. The, the thing is, is too dead. And if you open that grave, it's just going to stink. Your mindset maybe is that if Jesus didn't come in time to heal, then you don't want him there at all. Uh, there, there might be other things in this story you identify with, but, but whatever it is, I think there are two really important things that we need to know from this story this morning. And the first, I think, is that this story tells us that Jesus understands the human condition. He understands us. Because of all the grieving in the story, Jesus' grieving was the most intense. 
No one understands more than Jesus that this is not the way things were meant to be. And I think I'm on solid ground when when I would say no one is more angry about the ravaging effects of sin than Jesus is. I don't know what kind of hard thing you're going through this morning. But I can say this. Jesus cares and he understands. And he wants to enter into that hard thing with you. But I think Jesus wants more for you than just to be comforted by the fact that he understands and cares I mean, that might feel, that might be really encouraging to some of you. It might feel a little empty. See, throughout the story, Jesus refers to glorifying God. He says this is his reason for for doing everything he does. And it seems clear to me in this story that the way we glorify God is believing he is who he says he is the resurrection, and the life. We're a week away from celebrating Easter. This happened before Easter, this this incredible statement that Jesus made. And when Jesus said these words to Martha, he did two things. He affirmed her belief in a resurrection from the dead at, at the end of time, out into the future. But he also, I think, was calling her to believe that he was offering life Uh, Chapter 10, a couple of weeks ago, abundant life is what he offers for the here and now, today. Martha already believed in a resurrection at the the last day. She She had a pretty good end times theology. There's a lot of really messed up end times theology out there. Be careful. She had a pretty good end times theology. What Martha needed was a Messiah who had come into the world to bring life now. And that's what she confesses in verse 27, that the Son of God has come into the world and that he has come to bring dead things back to life. I believe that. Friends, I've seen Jesus bring dead things back to life over and over again. I've I've seen him breathe life into, into dead marriages. I've seen him call people out of the grave of of drug and alcohol addiction. I've seen him release people from the death grip of, of sinful behaviors that have them walking around like zombies. If he can call Lazarus out of the grave, he can call you out of any grave that that you're in. And when you let Jesus do that, God is glorified when you choose to recognize him as the son of God who has come into the world to be with you, God is glorified. When you are able to trust that even though he has delayed, he's working in ways that you may not be able to see or understand. When you do that, God is glorified. Matt Carter and Josh Redberg say this in their commentary on this passage. You will encounter no situation in life, no situation in life in which God cannot be glorified. 
It doesn't matter if it's an impossible boss, a loveless marriage, a crushing tuition bill, or a dysfunctional family. God can be glorified in every situation. We need to learn to ask, no matter the situation, how can I glorify God in this? And so this morning, uh, I just ask you, what, what is your response to him today? Will you hear his invitation of being the resurrection and the life and respond like Martha and, and Mary and, and many of the others who glorified that guy, uh, glorified God that day by believing in Jesus? Even I said this to the elders earlier, earlier this morning, even though they had to pay for two funerals. <laughs> you ever think about that? Lazarus died again at some point. What about Lazarus being called back from heaven to be with these people? (laughs) Will you acknowledge that he's the resurrection and the life? Or will you join those who from that day forward decided to kill Jesus in hopes of erasing him and his claims from their minds? I don't even want to think about him. Let's pray. Jesus, this is a strange story uh, that we're, we're inclined to miss the little pieces along the way and, and just see the miracle There's so much more to this than just calling Lazarus out from the grave. It's a story and a a set of conversations that ask us, what do we do when when we're in the middle of grieving, whatever the thing is that we're grieving? It's not always the death of a person. It can be the death of a lot of things, the loss of a lot of things. What do we do with that? Will you, will we let you speak life into that? Will we glorify you by welcoming that? Or will we reject you? And as ridiculous as it sounds, blame you for wanting to give us abundant life. Holy Spirit, I I pray that you would be speaking to all of us this morning, helping us to wrestle through this. Help us to choose wisely. In Jesus' name. Amen.